Investing insights with Right Property Group. Exploring trends in real estate and helping property investors gain financial security. Hey everybody, Steve Waters and Victor Kumar back again for another filmed version of the podcast Investing Insights. Uh, thank you very much for the feedback too. It was awesome for those that watched it on YouTube. It was something of a first for us as we That's right, talked was. about before uh, and it went really well. So if you didn't manage to see it and you're only listening to this through the podcast uh, platforms, make sure you hook on over to YouTube, hit the subscribe button so that at least you get the alerts for when we do these I wouldn't say randomly, but randomly. Randomly. Yeah, yeah, randomly. How are you, Vic? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good, Steve. Um, uh, like you said, the last time, the feedback was awesome. Um, and, um, of course, uh, one of the things we would caution you is if you're watching this on YouTube, don't watch and drive. Um, you need to listen to the audio version. Uh, and, um, uh, yeah, certainly uh, the feedback was awesome. Uh, we'll try and um, make it even better um, this time around. So uh, before... Coming on air, we, we were trying to uh, decide what we uh, want to talk about because obviously these are not scripted. Uh, that, that's how we roll. Uh, and uh, what were we talking about? Just to highlight that point, not, I don't think we've ever done a scripted podcast no. ever. And that's the way we like it because we, we just want it from the top of our mind. We might pick a subject with 30 seconds to go and mm -hmm. make a few bullet points. Um, but we're a big believer in just straight from the Real head. Real life experience. Absolutely. And today we were deciding on a subject actually to be fair 10 minutes beforehand over smashed avo your first my smashed first Evo. smashed avo ever go. yeah about six years late i know yeah. i'm a bit behind the times <laughs> but let me tell you really disappointed i don't see what the hype's about it oh, just just wasn't my thing but the, the the subject that we've decided today um on the surface might sound fairly general and that it's probably been done a million times through the interweb and by every Tom, Dick and Harry. Um, but we'd like to dig a little deeper. And that subject is the mistakes that investors make. But deeper than that, the mistakes that cause the mistakes yep. to begin with. Yep. Because we all know about the general mistakes. You know, don't over leverage. You know, make sure you're on top of everything. Don't buy off the plan if that's the thing and everything around it. Mm -hmm. um, but we thought we'd dig a little deeper because those mistakes are usually caused by whether it be a lack of knowledge or information. And that's the mistake in itself. So today, we thought we'd, well, we did write down a few points <laughs> and um, we'll talk about those to begin with. And these are in no particular order. So it's not, you know, 10 to 1, 1 mm -hmm. being the most important. These are just literally what we thought of and what we've experienced ourselves because combined, we've got 40 odd years of doing this. Easily. I don't think I should have said that actually. <laughs> 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 that, that didn't sound good, but a long time uh, of experience uh, we've surrounded ourselves with people that even have more experience mm -hmm. than us and the mistakes that we'll talk about today i would nearly guarantee that every investor that's been doing it for a long time have made at least one of these mistakes if not all of them yeah absolutely. In including us yeah so let's let's kick it off and the first one i've written down which is i believe just a fundamental misunderstanding or it's something that's parked aside and people don't think about it at all is their relationship with debt mm, mm, because I mean, yeah. that's the finance is the it's it a game of finance vehicle. yeah it it's a game of finance and when there's finance there's debt and unfortunately people 
Well, it's the biggest thing that stops them. Like you think about, well, if I take myself, when I first started investing, I probably wouldn't have done it if I didn't get my head around debt mm. and understanding the difference between productive and non-productive debt and where that could take me in either version. Yes. So productive debt being something that grows in value. Uh, unproductive debt might mean a car financed. Don't go there. A boat, <laughs> a credit card if you yeah. don't keep a tight grip of it and the, and the like. So having the a really clear understanding of debt can stop you, it could hinder you, or it actually could propel you. Absolutely. And and uh, with the debt itself, uh, there's a lot of um, cultural bias to it as well, um, um, depending on uh, where you've come from, uh, what's your background. How you were raised um, uh, by your parents has got a very strong... Yeah. Good um, point. Very strong uh, impact, right? But I think one of the biggest thing that we really need to make sure that we don't fall into the trap of is wearing debt as a badge of honor to say yeah, good I, I, I owe 10 million i owe 1 million um it's not in my mind it's not the number of zeros um uh, that that's important it is how many dollars per week you need to hold those number of zeros yeah how productive are the zeros that's right yeah and it's actually a good point it's not how much debt mm -hmm. you're in and if you've got your head around it. And the reason I say that is because I was talking to um, a rather large investor not long ago, literally a couple of days ago, and he wore it as a badge of, a badge of honour saying, well, you know, I've got $18 million in debt. worth of debt. Mm -hmm. Now, there are probably some people that are listening right now saying, holy crap, like that's, that's a lot of mm. debt. And there might be some people that are saying, yeah, okay, I get it, I get it. But this particular guy was... When I say proud, it, it, he was proud because not that it meant that he controlled an asset base of X, but his theory was that, well, inflation will kick in and the more debt I hold, leverage, yada, 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 that one day it'll be worth a lot more than the debt. Yeah. Now, that's a dangerous, that's yep. a badge of honour position mm -hmm. as opposed to actually potentially really understanding the consequence or the upside because there is upside and, and downside of debt. Um and so wearing it as a badge of honour is, is a dangerous proposition, but so is also having $100,000 worth of unproductive debt Absolutely. or, or $20,000 worth of unproductive debt. And uh, something just came into my head that I was, I, I think oh, probably six months ago, I put up on Facebook, um, I think it was a $4,000 credit card. If you maxed that out, so this is unproductive debt. You know, mm. If you maxed out the $4,000 credit card, these were loose figures too because I'm deeping, reaching into the memory bank. So $4,000 worth of credit card debt maxed out and you just paid the minimum repayments. It was somewhere between 12 and 17 years to extinguish a $4,000 card. A $4,000 card. Yeah. Right now, that's unproductive debt and that's mm -hmm. just sheer stupidity. I agree. I agree. So let's, let's uh, um, play this $18 million debt out a bit more, right? And uh, you mentioned that um, the... Um, thought process he had was that uh, inflation would go up, therefore the debt uh, would become a lot more uh, relevant because it's attached, obviously, to an asset. Correct. And one of the key mistakes that people make is actually having that thought because they're looking at only one side of the equation being that uh, we are only after capital growth, right? And, and we're thinking that, okay, if I can hold on to this asset, so... We're talking property here, obviously. If I can hold on to this property and if it doubles in value, I'll be okay. But in the meantime, what you what you are not 
concentrating on is the other side of the equation, which is the affordability factor. Right? So someone that's able to afford an $18 million debt uh, without compromising lifestyle, uh, good on them. But there are other people that could only afford $100,000 of debt. So you need to keep it relative in terms of uh, how much debt you are able to hold on to. Uh, and that relates to how much cash flow you need to uh, use to underpin that debt to be able to hold on to it, which then leads you to where you're investing, what type of property you're buying, or whether you're buying at all. And are you, you just mentioned what type of property you're buying. And the thing that most investors do is they buy just for the sake of buying. So Correct. it's a matter of, well, how many properties do I, I just need more properties, I need more properties, mm-hmm. I need more properties, because they'll all go up in value. But it, you can have as many properties if, as you could possibly desire. But if most of them are the wrong properties to suit your situation or the portfolio base mm-hmm. or overall exposure and picture, well, then you are really praying, not hoping, you're praying for the growth. True. Because you haven't got potentially the cash flow to support the mm-hmm. debt, which is why we always talk about cash flow management, which we'll talk about a little bit further on. So just to finish off on the relationship with debt, if you if you think about it this way, when you first got started, it, the biggest fear you had is not whether the property potentially will go up or down mm-hmm. um, or whether you can afford it in yeah, sort of an irrelevant way, but it's I'm in debt. Yep. And as a result of that debt, then it's, well, what if? Mm. So what if it doesn't go up? What if I can't afford it? Uh, how do I get rid of it? Is it going to affect my lifestyle? So it's all really based around the debt. So having a really clear understanding of debt, mm-hmm. right, because there is debt, and that sounds like a really dirty word, it's um, a dirty four-letter word, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so once you get your head around debt and create a relationship with it, then you can actually move forward because mm-hmm. I would say that most of the time that you don't go forward to begin with, it's because of debt. True. And we've been educated that yeah. debt is bad. All debt is bad. Yeah. And to be fair, most debt mm-hmm. is bad. So if you look at it, let, let, let's play that out a little bit more. Um, uh, this is a shift in the era in that yeah. sense because um, for our era and our uh, fathers and forefathers, um, most of us, if, it, if you're talking Australia, we are product of the Great Depression. Right? Mm. So in the Great Depression, um, people lost their homes because they owed money to the bank. Yep. And therefore, debt was always bad. Now, as time went by, uh, that, that started changing as, as education came in, as, as fluidity in the market came in, uh, and the ability to get into debt became easier. Uh, the, um, the thought process around debt became uh, different. Yep. Uh, so the newer generation, if I can use those, the, those words, they have uh, started looking at debt as, as, as a tool to get leverage and to get onto assets. But sometimes the tool is now being taken as as too granted uh, and the enormity of being in debt is being lost in the clutter. The repercussions Mm -hmm. of debt is being lost in the clutter. That's right. Is another way to think about it because there's this adage that you you should only buy buy for growth. Mm. That's the only reason, if we just relate it back to property, because eventually the growth will surpass the debt, the debt and you'll be okay. Um, but if you didn't have an, 
an understanding of an, and a good relationship with the debt, well, you've actually got all the fundamentals wrong mm-hmm. to begin with. Um, so once again, we think that the relationship with debt is such an important I think it's one factor. of the most important things. Absolutely, around, yeah. absolutely. And, and even speaking from my experience, it's, yeah, it's a constant um, thought process in your head around the debt and actually how it's producing for you. Mm-hmm. And that might sound like, yeah, I'm actually contradicting myself, but how is the debt producing for you is a good way to think about it. Yeah. But you need to understand it before you get into it. Otherwise, it's Agreed. dangerous. Yep, good. So we can agree. We can move on. Yeah. So the next one is, um, and we've, everybody says about it, no strategy. We talk about it a lot. If you don't have a strategy, it, it's a foolish um, proposition, any investment mm-hmm. class for that matter. Aimless investing. Aimless and in, clueless investing. Clueless investing. There you go. There's, yeah, yeah, ne- yeah. there's, there's the next book title. There you clueless go. investing. <laughs> it, um, but I want to I bring up strategy again, but not just from a broad sense, because strategy usually means or most people think about, well, the immediate term mm-hmm. with some medium term input. But where I want to come from is actually the end goal because the strategy, no one thinks about the end goal. What's the end goal? Yeah. What's the exit strategy? Not Because remember, strategy is about the beginning. Mm-hmm. But what's the exit strategy, therefore the end goal? And how do I map that out? Yeah. Which is what most people don't think about. That's true. That's true. So... And that actually comes down, which we might actually do a podcast on this, is how do I retire the debt? Because if that's not in your strategy as the end goal, well, then it's not really a strategy. You're just buying, Mm. realistically. Mm -hmm. And that might mean an area. It might mean um, a a debt bracket or it might be a cash flow bracket and the likes. But once again, the end result needs to be just as important part of the strategy as the planning stage. That's right. I agree. I yeah. agree. Um, so something as simple as, uh, if for those that have done small developments uh, where it is outside of the residential space, so perhaps maybe six, seven units, yeah, and you're going to a commercial funder, when you're making your application, one of the questions they have in there is, what's your end, end uh, plan for this debt? So in other words, how are you going to extinguish this debt? Because this debt is for construction. What's your what's your payout strategy? And if you mm. can bring that into your investing, because essentially that's what we're doing, right? So if you're buying multiple properties, effectively we are constructing a portfolio. So we need to be thinking of, okay, how are we going to get out of debt? And uh, what are the strategies we need to implement? Because the strategies that you implement way down in the future, needs to, the play needs to start now yeah. for that right it's a it's as simple as that so uh, i think that's a that's a full podcast in itself and we might do that i think we'll do that as the next one yeah the next yeah. film version but and you just mentioned something there because which just made me think of something else so when we're purchasing property and let's just say it's residential property for mm-hmm. the most you actually should apply a commercial mindset yeah to it so that because with a commercial mindset or with a commercial arrangement or anything there's always an end result now mm-hmm. think about a car lease yeah. There's an end result. There's yeah. a time period, and then what are you going to do after that time That's period? That's right. Whether it's a balloon payment, and you're going to refinance that, or, or it's actually going to pay out at that at yeah. that time. Refinance or it, yeah. or Get whatever it may, yeah, or sell it, or whatever it may be. So having the commercial mindset mm-hmm. will absolutely pay dividends for you in the in the long term, as long as you begin with that commercial mindset yeah. with the end 
in right. sight. Yep. So we'll do a full 40-minute podcast video on that particular mm-hmm. subject on how do we retire debt. And because I think it's that important. Yeah, it is and really important. That's something that people don't uh, look at in the outset. They look at it towards the tail end of it. Exactly, yeah. And nobody seems to want to talk about it. Yep. Like buy all the properties mm-hmm. and we'll advise you accordingly or even if you don't get advice, you just go out and buy it. But and then what happens? Then what happens, yeah. Okay, you hope. Yeah. <laughs> That's what the normal thing or the normal strategy is. And I think the next one for me, which really leads into, or it's a part of debt, is actually tax. Mm-hmm. Now, we've often said that it's very few and far between people that create a, or run a wealth creation strategy alongside a tax, tax minimization yeah. strategy that is successful. You know, if you're a packer, um, I hope he's not listening. <laughs> it's, <laughs> chances. Yeah, maybe that might work for you. But for the majority of people trying to run a congruent strategy of those two is fraught with danger. Now, that might be something as simple as, uh, and this is where we get back to perhaps from an overall picture, the accountant says, I should. Mm -hmm. Nothing against accountants. We're just being general. You've paid too much tax, Vic, which is a good thing because if you're paying tax, you're making money, you know, holistic point of view. But now we've got to eradicate it. So go buy some assets that are essentially losing you money so that you can claw back some. Claw back some. Now, I'm not. I'm not uh, trying to emphasise that you should only buy positive cash flow properties because I actually don't believe that. Um, unlike others, it should be a balance. But you shouldn't be trying. Tax minimisation should be the last thing that you're thinking of when it comes to creating a portfolio because at, at the end of the day, it's only a moment in time. Correct. Yep. But most people don't see it they just oh, right. i'm getting 40 dollars a week back per mm. per property you should buy new or you whatever so it, it comes back to the quality of the question that you're asking uh, in, in this scenario and and of course an accountant usually is focused on minimizing your tax that's the job that's their job yeah so therefore they're coming in purely from a tax minimization point of view the wealth creation is more incidental yeah right now if you flip that around and looked at wealth creation and income stream, um, um, uh, getting the income stream done, then really the tax goes in the background, right? And and then you can start challenging the paradigms. One of the paradigms is pay off your home first and then your investments, right? I'm going to challenge people here to say, okay, think of paying off your investments first. Yes, you'll have a tax problem. Think of paying your investments first and then paying off your home. I wonder how life would look then because you've got an income stream coming in which you don't have to work for. Yes, you're paying tax. It's like having a second job. Then you can pay off your home. Whereas if you paid off your home first, you still got, you haven't unencumbered the income stream. So I'm, I'm trying to add a layer of thinking differently because the norm out there has always been tax minimization. How can I get a tax deduction? How can I buy this property and therefore um, not pay as much tax and hope that the property goes up in value to then sort of justify in the end to potentially sell down or, or keep. Mm. Uh, and of course, when you sell down, all this tax that you're trying to save, there's a small thing called capital gains tax that plays in at that point in time. True. And I think that's a very good way to look at it. And it is different for everybody just mm-hmm. as that general disclaimer. 
uh, and that you should speak to your accountant. However, challenging just the norm yes. could actually pay dividends. And it might be that particular point or, or a different point. Mm. Just don't think that what worked yesterday and 20 years ago and 50 years ago is always going to be as effective as something that potentially is new or different. Agree. Surround yourself with the team yep. is the bottom line. All right. The next one for me is thinking that the sun will always shine. That's deep. Very deep for it's you, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> now, what I actually mean by that is people, they don't prepare. Mm-hmm. They don't prepare for the worst case scenario. Now, if we take today's environment where we've got record low interest rates or cash rate, I think I read the other day, it's back to the 1970s or, or, or thereabouts. Um, job security is okay. There's a little bit of um, jobs growth. We get to see some wage growth. But all in all, consumer confidence is, it's, it's, it's okay. Mm-hmm. And people may very quickly fall into the trap of thinking, well, this is the new norm forever and ever, amen, and that they start to tuck or even not think about what could go wrong in the future. Now, the future is a really subjective statement because the future might be tomorrow. True. Or the future might be in 15 years' time. So thinking the sun will always shine is actually thinking that nothing will ever change mm-hmm. and it's as good as it gets now, potentially better. If I dig deeper... What do I really mean by all of that? It's actually cash flow management, management buffers, capital buffers, risk contingency in place. Mm-hmm. Take that back to my relationship with debt. Yeah. Take that back with what's my exit strategy in a worst case mm-hmm. scenario. So once again, poor planning. Yeah, so in other words, what you're doing is you, you're preparing for the worst and aiming for the best, right? So if yeah. you don't prepare for the worst, then then you'll be scrambling at that point in time and you haven't then put the right mitigation in place. So, uh, you know, something as simple as low interest rates right now uh, and then we start having a tick in terms of interest rates going up. Uh, how does that uh, look in your portfolio in, in particular with the cash flow? And secondly, in terms of being able to get finance and restructuring your mortgages? Yeah, good point. Because if we go back to the two podcasts ago Mm -hmm. where we were talking about worst case scenarios uh, but we were talking more about not budgeting but planning Mm. and how we didn't agree with 40-year plans or 40-year modelling. Too many variants. Too many variants, too many assumptions, yeah. So we're not saying that you shouldn't uh, be having some modelling to some degree but not from what could happen in a positive manner, but what could happen from a negative perspective? Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, it's around cash flow. That is around cash flow. If you've got the debt, you need the cash flow to support it. Mm -hmm. If you don't have the cash flow to support it, you become a statistic. So it is around modelling worst case scenarios because anything above that is okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and a lot of people judge um, their ability to hold onto the portfolio based on the lender willing to lend you the money, right? Again. Uh, again, yeah. Mm. Um, now, when you're looking at that, obviously the lender's looking at it from a snapshot. Only you know your true 
100% exp- uh, expenses yeah and and what's coming up in the next couple of months couple of years uh with what what you've got planned whether it's an addition to the family whether it's a change of job or sabbatical yeah that's right uh so w- we need to take that into account and if you can still comfortably um meet the repayments in your mind then it's a sound debt and obviously still you need to do some uh, risk mitigation in terms of okay what if your calculations were wrong so um whatever you think you can afford uh you need to add at least a 20 to 30% buffer on top of that yeah now actually i think that's a really good point because a couple of podcasts ago i think it was in the filmed version where we were talking about buffers mm-hmm. and a question we often get asked is what's the sweet spot and yeah you yep. mentioned whether it be three months full of full mortgage exposure mm-hmm. whatever it was and for me it's a year's worth of pre-tax worst case scenario shortfall mm-hmm. because that lets me sleep at night so each person's different each person is different whatever lets you sleep at night yep. the risk profile mm-hmm. and all the good stuff but most people coming back the reason i say that and it's tying in with your point about only you know what you can afford the bank is doing their serviceability calculations on what you provide them and perhaps what's also obvious mm-hmm. but deep down you're the one that knows that's right no software can tell you that no software will tell you what you've got planned yep for the future only you know what you've got planned for the future so if you're getting a loan and you're being a little dodgy around it saying well I know I'm going to do this and that and that but that's in the future nobody needs to know mm. you're not being truthful with yourself in terms of your financial position and your financial capacity so it pays dividends to be a little bit diligent and a little bit um yeah don't be too over the top with all your numbers in terms of from a positive perspective yep, yep. because i will every don't, don't embellish on the numbers don't embellish on the numbers to the bank because that's illegal mm-hmm. but don't embellish the numbers to yourself don't convince yourself that you've got this yep when deep down you know you haven't right which actually ties in with a statement that we made years ago is don't get don't I don't know what I'm trying to say here. Don't get the top of the market confused with the top of your capacity. Yeah. Right? And that's yeah. a it's an important point because people just seem to think well the market's going good, I'll keep going, keep going, keep mm-hmm. going, but you already know deep down that you're at the top of your capacity. Yeah. And that you'd be stretching to a point of being dangerous. Mm-hmm. Look, sometimes sometimes it is necessary to stretch your comfort zone. Not, not necessarily stretch your finances right so one of the things that uh, you know one of my favorite sayings in in um, uh, investing is that uh, and in life in general is that you need to become comfortable being uncomfortable mm. right so uh, that means you need to try new frontiers new ideas but also make sure that the discomfort that you're getting into isn't permanent right it's it's a new reset to get into into uh new behavior uh, whether it is around debt whether it is around investing or life in general it's a good point because i remember one of our people that work with us one of our team that was very uncomfortable about getting up in front of a crowd and speaking yeah and for them their paradigm was i just ca- i can't do this i can't mm-hmm. do this and now they're a well better at it they're always up in front of hundreds of people talking all the time whether mm-hmm. it be you know accountants associations or whatever it may be but he he had to really challenge himself for that yet debt on the other side of the equation was just not a not an issue wasn't it wasn't an issue but yeah. he got himself to that position he was very very methodical as everybody should be mm-hmm. when you're starting to challenge yourself and make sure that at least you've got the worst case 
worst case covered. Yeah. Actually, you said something really important here, right? Well, you I hope so. <laughs> That's probably the first important <laughs> no, thing right? you said. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> tune in now. <laughs> you, you said you have to be methodical, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and this is where what people get wrong is is they are um, impulsive when it comes to debt, when it comes to buying property, when it comes to setting up a strategy. They're not methodical. They're not they're not putting uh, you know the, the first step and in, 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 in the next step and so forth. They are trying to play catch up with what they've read or what they've seen on social media, what they've um, seen other people achieve without being methodical in, in, in dissecting that to say, okay, what were the mechanics of this? What might this work? Mm. They're only seeing the flashy stuff on the outside and not seeing the mechanics of it. So Just seeing the, the end the result. Mechanics. Yeah, that's right. Which that's is right. usually embellished. Yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no one sees, so the, the athlete as an example, no one sees the you know, 4 a.m. wake up, uh, you know, getting up uh, at 4 a.m. And, and going for training and, and training for you know, 100, 200 hours a week. They only see they've run the race and they've won and, and, and they've got the medal. And investing is exactly the same. You're only seeing the end result, but you really need to see what happened in the background and uh, no sense reinventing the wheel. You, you emulate that, not the end result. Don't try and uh, you know, flesh out to the end result. See what the mechanics were, see how it relates to you, and then you take your first step. It's good advice. I like that. Yeah. Pretty deep too. It was. I'm glad you said that, not me. All right, so the next one is around pipeline analysis, right? So if we generalised, that's just supply and demand. Mm -hmm. Make sure you get a fundamental right. But one of the least talked about and understood and utilised sections of the fundamentals is pipeline analysis. Mm -hmm. Now, what that means in a nutshell is what's coming in the future in terms of, let's call it accommodation, so houses, properties, units, whatever it may be. So what could be a good investment today because it's undersupplied for whatever the reason mm-hmm. may have 100,000 new dwellings that are in their, I think we mentioned this before, their feasibility stage yep. or their tender stage which are going to be constructed and will be come to fruition in 18 months' time. So what's turned into potentially on the surface a good investment is really only good investment for the short term and then you might actually find yourself in a negative equity position over time for mm-hmm. a long time or even worse in a cash flow position that is half of what it was before and i said Sorry. worse and i said cash flow worse position than the equity position mm-hmm. because the equity position hopefully if you bought with some fundamentals in place will actually catch itself up it will get better mm. it might take a hundred years. Yeah, it doesn't mean that every year the equity is going to go up. Correct. No. But if you don't have the cash flow, and this is why cash flow is more important in the immediate term to support that debt while the equity position mm-hmm. is eroded, well, then you've actually you, you've actually made happen that equity position, meaning that you'll be foreclosed on. Yeah, true. So and, and so that equity position is realised. Absolutely. Yeah. So if we, we're talking about cash flow, and just just to be really um, pedantic about cash flow. We're not talking positive cash flow. We, we're talking Correct. about your ability to hold on to that asset and therefore your ability to service that debt. That's what yeah. we're talking about in terms of cash flow. And that's what it's about. Mm. It's the servicing the debt and still, still having sh- a life. And still having a life that you're not living on two-minute noodles, True. as we say, to support your property habit because that's not fun either. And once again, going right, way back to the beginning of the conversation – most investors have experienced, or so, sorry, a lot of in 
investors have experienced one or two of these points that we're going through, including us. And I remember when I first started that, you know, people ask me, what was the best property that you've ever bought? And it was the first one mm-hmm. because that was the first one and it actually happened to do okay as the story goes. But you actually get ahead of yourself and you forgot about, well, you put cash flow management to the side. But if you bury your head in the sand, you'll continue that way and think that it's all okay. But when it becomes comes to fruition and you realise just how important cash flow management is because it's a direct reflection of your livability, your lifestyle, your psychology and everything else like that, you quickly snap out of it if you can. Unfortunately, yep. there are those that can't and they've gone too far down that rabbit hole mm. and unfortunately will become a statistic. Yeah, so when you look at uh, investors and, and, and we sit down with, with uh, investors and people that want to invest on a daily basis, right? the, the people tend to know where their equity position is Probably about only forty percent only know where their cash flow position is. Mm, sad truth. Yeah, and, and and really, when when you really look look at it, someone needs to be able to wake you up at two a.m. and say, "What's your what's your negative cash flow, or how much does your portfolio cost?" And you should be able to tell tell that number uh, on a weekly basis. So Victor's mobile number is <laughs> 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 ring him up at two. I won't do it. It's um, but that's that's a good point, and all all that is really a consequence of what's in the pipeline because that's mm-hmm. supply and demand, that's, that's right. cash flow, that's the equity position mm. and so on. So pipeline analysis is something that we concentrate on immensely and what we mean by that is how much, once again, how much is due to be built in an area mm-hmm. or pipeline analysis might be how much is the population going to expand or contract in an area. We're looking for the future fundamentals today, today. and what's going to affect it. So pipeline analysis, remember that one. It's a big part of mm-hmm. the end so result. if you look at it, and, and the reason why we actually look at the pipeline analysis uh, and, and uh, see it as one of the most important elements of investing is that your first two to three years of buying an investment property is your bedding down of that property. And if we know clearly that uh, you're going to get some uh, issues with oversupply in that period, we can mitigate that risk. Mm, um, good point. You know, so I- I- the fundamentals may be okay. So we know that for the first three years, we're going to have a smooth run and then we may hit a, hit a hiccup in the fourth year in terms of the rent. So maybe the rents come back $30 a week at that point in time because this, uh, you know, uh, properties that are being built will be built by them. So we need to we need to make sure that we're doing the sums in terms of holding the property at that less $30 less rental income, not the current income that we've got. Um, and, and if it still works and it still fits into your portfolio, that's when we buy. Correct. So we're forecasting. Mm-hmm. The Fortune finite. tellers. <laughs> the, murky, <laughs> the murky crystal ball. So that then really brings me to the next mistake most people, everyone at one stage or another makes, is not understanding the difference between cash flow and cash flow management mm. right it's a big difference most people think well I'll just go out and buy cash flow properties yep versus cash flow management and I want to give you an example probably the worst investment I've ever seen um, from a client that came to us and said look this is what we already have and we were analysing the portfolio and this is the worst investment I've ever seen I I'm, think I already know which one you're talking I about can't even, I, don't, I don't remember the numbers and it probably should because it was just so horrific they bought a inv- they were in the, i don't know their late 50s early 60s and they bought the, the advisor said to them look buy this property up in i think it was far north queensland 
um, cash unencumbered. Don't worry about getting a debt because the yield, I think it was 14% or thereabouts, yeah. yeah? So it's a small purchase. Buy it, no debt, and that will supply you an income. When we did the analysis on it, so that's cash flow, 14% yield and unencumbered mm -hmm. debt yield. When we actually did the analysis, the property was losing money every week, even though it had no debt attached to it. Because all the auxiliary expenses attached to it, strata, council rates, R&M, uh, repairs and maintenance and the like, was actually losing them $30 a week, even though it had... No debt on it? No debt attached to it. Now, the property was a serviced apartment in a retirement village on the coast of far north Queensland. So to me, there's a few fundamental areas there to begin mm -hmm. with in terms of uh, the location, the asset selection, but then clearly not doing the numbers before you put pen to paper That's to, right, yeah. to, to realise yeah. what the cash flow management scenario mm. of the property versus the cash flow. Yeah. And I think the, the scenario goes a little bit deeper in the sense that it was also now in negative equity as well. Oh, correct. Yeah. Yeah. So they couldn't get rid of it either. Yeah, which just because it's cheap doesn't mean that's right. It's good. Mm -hmm. Conversely, though, just because it's a million dollars doesn't make it a great investment either. No. But cash flow management is actually how you look at your entire portfolio. What's the bottom line? And we mentioned this earlier on about every property. Every property needs to be a deliberate purchase mm -hmm. within the portfolio. It needs to have a plan for the property which has a direct result to the portfolio. Now that might look like you've got a few higher equity or higher capital growth properties here, but they've got horrific yields and we need to underpin the cash flow. Growth is always a fundamental, so let's not you know, say that it shouldn't be there and yep. just chase cash flow. But we might underpin the property that's higher growing with a lesser cash mm -hmm. flow with something that has the potential to increase the cash flow via, I don't know, multiple income streams or, or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. There's no use, disclaimer, there's no use going to a one-trick pony town like they did to get 14% to find out that it wasn't. Yep. Really, 14%. So managing the cash flow is really, really important. So cash flow management, but you can only do that if you're continually reviewing mm -hmm. your numbers. Yeah. So there's always this adage of, okay, um, you know, you can get both growth and cash flow from a property. Yes, you can. But if you're looking at it from a holistic point of view, some of your properties may be higher growth, so less cash flow. So it could be, say, 3%, 2% yield as an example. Uh, and other properties could be where you are creating the cash flow. So it could be a scenario of you're putting a second dwelling on it or it's a commercial property as an example. And it's actually giving you uh, a much higher combined yield. So let's let's say arguably it's say 7%. Yeah. When you look at it from a holistic point of view, you are then uh, complementing each property with the other. So you're pigeon pairing them together so that one's providing the growth and the other property is providing the cash flow to help hold on to the growth so that it's not impacting on lifestyle, lifestyle so that you can continue building your portfolio. So it's like a jigsaw puzzle, right? So you know your end picture. and what Because it's on the cart. That's right. Yeah. Yeah? <laughs> yeah? So, and then what you're trying to do is, is then fit in the pieces and you have to get the pieces right to unfold the full picture. And that's how simple investing can be provided you've got a plan a plan to um, uh, where you're going and, of course, a plan to retire the debt as well. Yep, that's a good way to put it. And that property that you've just highlighted, which that might be there to create the cash flow, when it was purchased for the portfolio, it was 
deliberately. It just wasn't because it on the surface it looked like a good investment. Mm-hmm. And this is where people get it wrong. It's just like, well, what's the plan once again for this property? We in know that portfolio. In that portfolio. Yeah. We know that it's a, I don't know, larger block of land which we can build a second dwelling on in the future, whether it be five years, one year, whatever it looks like. Mm-hmm. But we know what the end result is going mm-hmm. to be. So cash flow management is just so important. That's also forecasting. That's also budgeting. So down to your your household budgets yep. and knowing what you actually spend. And we've said it before, most people don't. If you were true and mm-hmm. you did a true budget of the household, it's amazing how many people live beyond their means. True. Um, yeah, whether it be up by $100 a week or one, they do. So unless you have a, a cash flow management awareness around you, you're actually setting yourself up for disaster. Mm somewhere yeah and, and sometimes it may be that you've got multiple properties and and you've, you've invested for 10 15 years but because you haven't actually managed your cash flow your end result is no different to someone just owning one property uh, and, good and, point yeah yep. so it needs to be tied into your circumstances needs to be tied into your cash flow and what's going to happen in your life and what you're trying to achieve it's a good point so it's really the stress of rotating cash flow versus mm. the contentment of accrual. Yeah. Is a good way to put it. Making sure there's always enough there, seeing that it grows. That's right. Constantly monitoring your numbers and how can you monitor them if you're not looking at them. So from a portfolio perspective, if you if you look at what we do with the clients. Mm-hmm. So we sit down whenever necessary, whenever they need to, so that we review the total portfolio, whether that looks like one property or yeah. 50 so that we're continually tweaking and putting in plans of action mm-hmm. for the properties that exist, but also what we need to plug in to balance the numbers. That's right. And I, I feel that uh, the review is more important than the initial purchases and, and, and setting up the portfolio because yeah. if, you, if you're not correcting the course and the direction the portfolio is heading, you're not going to reach your goal. You're not, not going to mitigate any uh, risks because you're not actually looking at the numbers, you're not actually looking at what's happening in the area. It could be that uh, in the review, we might flag that, well, it's time to offload one or two properties. Or we might flag that it's time to restructure your debt because you've got something imminent about to happen in your life. Um, Or it it could be that we might turn around and say, we need to stop buying. We need to stop buying right now uh, and, and batten down the hatches because we are starting to reach towards the top end of our uh, ca- negative cash flow tolerance um, and in other cases it may be that you know we're saying that it's time to buy again it's a good way to put it because and you said sometimes it's you need to consolidate mm. and we are true believe, believers in that because sometimes you'll actually make more money by doing nothing that's right than actually just buying mm-hmm. the next property as another badge of honour with a little bit more debt attached which then brings me to the next I think is at the root of all evil of an unsuccessful investor, mm-hmm. and that's greed and ego. Without, 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 doubt. without, without doubt. doubt, and greed and ego doesn't necessarily mean um, that you know, we're being we're belittling people or or the image as such, because everybody has a little bit of greed or ego at one point or another. It's just how much is it amplified, mm. and everything is a derivative of of it without fail so some examples might be well from a greed point of view um let's put up rent more because it's my property and let's extract every cent we can get out from the tenant that's that's greed and it's you haven't thought it 
through. You put it up too much, the tenant leaves. You put it up $10 above market, the tenant leaves. It takes four weeks mm-hmm. plus a week's um, rent to the agent, five weeks worth of cash flow gone for that $10, which will now take you two years to recuperate. That's right. So it's just Think stupidity. It Think it through. Um, greed might be around, I'll buy another property just because I can. The barbecue brag rights. Barbecue brag rights. <laughs> I like that. The barbecue brag rights. Um, or greed could be around um, you know, trying to extrapolate every cent out of a property manager just to mm. you know, negotiate their fees down to nothingness. Yeah, maybe. Uh, and, and this is this is something that you know, perhaps uh, a lot of investors miss is they they're looking at the percentage rather than the actual dollars uh, the property manager is charging. So, as an example. A difference between say someone says seven percent and someone's charging six percent, and they are honing down and negotiating and negotiating it down to six percent. Nothing wrong with that, but you also need to look at if they're cutting their costs so severely. What else are they cutting back on to meet their budgets? It's actually a good point. We're going to talk about that a little bit further on because it's actually in line with one of the questions that we had from mm-hmm. the last podcast. Um, so we've mentioned greed. Now let's talk about the ego mm. side of it. And I'd potentially say that ego's got more of a uh, negative effect than, than greed. Yeah, especially if you've had a few wins on board. And that's when the ego... That's when it kicks in. Kicks in. Look at me. I'm on Facebook and I've got 37 properties. Mm. Or you know, I've bought another one and everybody knows about it. Be, just as a side note, be that person that nobody knows anything about. Yep. Don't put your life out there. That's just... Ego, mm. to say the least. Um, and ego is dangerous. It, it, like it really, really is. Not just to you, but everybody else around you. The part of, you know, whether it be your team, um, whether it be your family, because the consequences of both greed and ego is that you're putting pressure on the family unit True. in terms of its in terms of its budgets. And of course, ego could be just satisfying your own psychology between your own ears, saying, "Well, I was budgeted." so to speak. My plan was to buy my next property by July. Mm-hmm. Come hell or high water, I'm going to do that. But yet all the fundamentals haven't been Say otherwise. In. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yep. Yep. And you're not being real with yourself. And that could also go all the way back to one of the beginning points around about serviceability and what you know, what mm-hmm. you know deep down versus what the, yep. the so bank does. So these, these plans or uh, the purchasing plans and all that, they need to be fluid because everything around you is fluid anyway. Side note, I like that. That's a good one because if as an investor, and this comes back to the strategy and, and really understanding a strategy with an end goal and what is the end goal, what is the exit strategy, not just the beginning, if your strategy confines you to one lane hmm. and that's all it can happen, so you are all in on this one property type that confines you to that strategy without having the ability to pivot or be opportunistic, it's a recipe for disaster. Absolutely it is. The, the way that you invest, whether it be property shares, bananas, whatever it looks like to you, it needs to allow you to be fluid and opportunistic to pivot when you need to or when you have to. Mm. There's a big and, difference. And, and you need to be putting yourself in a position where you are able to make a decision. Because all of this comes together. This is all the pieces of the puzzle, as you rightly put it before. This is a good visual too. It... Um, if all of these individual pieces don't come together, or if you're missing one piece, you've got a pretty picture with a big hole in it. I've got uh, oh, 
taking that that uh, example of the jigsaw puzzle, right? So a lot of investors, what they're trying to do is they're trying to do a jigsaw puzzle that's designed for 12 years, 12, 12 year plus, and, and they're three year old, and they're trying to do a 12 year old puzzle. So it is infinitely more harder. Some will jag it, some will actually uh, you know, come through with it, but uh, you know, a puzzle designed for 12 years, you, you're, not, you're not doing it when you're three years old. I like that, because that leads me to my next point, which I hadn't written down, but I think it's a big one. Yeah. And I'm going to bring the picture back into it <laughs> in a minute. Jeez, I wish, I wish we had a blackboard here or a whiteboard. Blackboard, that shows your age. 40 years of investing. Um, combined, not individually. <laughs> so let's talk about your ability to stay the course slash concentrate and not get distracted. Mm-hmm. Right? Because... Not chasing the shiny thing. But even worse is actually not even being involved. And what I mean by that is, and you can see it in almost 90% of paraphernalia about investing, is passive. Mm. Property investing is passive, is the headline. Yep. And it kills me. If you treat property investment as a passive vehicle, you will lose money. Mm. Not a chance of losing money, you will lose money. And that now visualize the the jigsaw puzzle for the three-year-old for the 12-year-old analogy if you don't have the concentration span if you can't stay the course if you're not invested in your own portfolio why the hell are you doing it exactly but realistically are you is it a magic formula wave the wand i'll throw some money at this and jack at the barbecue has been doing it for 70 years said look at me now i'm rich it doesn't Mm. work that way and and what i mean by that is that at every stage, you need to be all in. Involved. Yep. All in in your portfolio management, which is why, once again, we do the reviews is to hold our clients accountable and have another set of eyes over their their figures, their portfolio, their numbers, their goals mm. to slow them down or hurry them up, whatever it looks like at that point in time. Because goals also need to be refined as, as, as life. They will change. Yeah. They will change. You, know, you wanted the Ferrari, but now you've got four kids. Yep. You need a... Tarago. <laughs> <laughs> Big difference. But so if, if, you're, if you're passive in the way that you treat your investment vehicle, it'll hurt you. We've established that. And that's a so, another soapbox moment. But how do you not be passive is a question we, mm. you know, when it's, it's, it's a set and forget asset, supposedly. Yeah. Well, also on, on the flip side, you don't want to tinker much with it either because that's when you're starting to chop and change strategies and and trying to get way way too involved right so you need to systemize it uh, there needs to be a system in place there needs to be check-in points uh, and, and there needs to be an overall strategy that you're aiming towards an overall result that you're aiming towards being methodical mm. being methodical. deliberate that's right once again so that means staying in touch with the market value of rent mm. not so much the asset value that's not the f- not the first thing. That will come. Growth will come. But once again, cash flow management is king. So staying in touch with market, staying in touch with interest rates, staying in touch with the macro economy, not from a, well, yeah, from a worldwide point mm-hmm. of view and major events that could trickle down and have an effect on the position of your portfolio for a long time or whether it be a short time. Yeah. Um, being in touch and or even step backwards, creating relationships with or creating a team mm. 
of people around you. Now, we've mentioned it before, the team could be accountants, brokers, advisors, buyers, agents, painters, plumbers, whatever, property managers, and everybody in between. The relationship that you create takes time. It takes effort. If you're passive about that, then you've got no one helping you. You're heading for trouble. Well, everything's reactive rather than proactive. Yep. Yep. So the whole, the whole premise that property investing is this passive vehicle is just rubbish. And you know what? Even when you own it unencumbered, it's not passive. True. So even though we might loosely slay, loosely slay, loosely, <laughs> loosely say passive income, it's just not necessarily, we mean it's not the job. It's not 40 hours a week, but yep. it's still in its true sense, it's not. Still, still not time. passive. Still, still got to do the bills. Mm-hmm. You still got to do the maintenance. You still got to manage your managers. And so, so something, on. something as simple as right. So someone saying that, oh, you know, I'm really a hands-off investor, uh, and they don't even look at the mortgages, and their mortgages click over from interest only to principal and interest. So if I look at one of my properties in my portfolio, um, it clicked over from three and a half percent interest only to their standard variable rate PNI, which mm. is 5.07. Now, if I were a hands-off investor and, and, and looked at it as passive and, and it'll look after itself, I'm already paying too much for this property now, already paying too much in terms of the loan. Right? So that's what we mean by being involved, being vested in the result, being vested in the performance of your, of your uh, portfolio and making sure that you are steering the ship. Because no one else can steer better than you because you know what's coming up in the horizon in your personal circumstances. You know what your household budget is. You know um, how regular the rental income is from this property uh, so long as you have a finger on the pulse. You need a co-captain. Yes. It's a good way to, <laughs> to put it. So utilise those people that are around you and if you haven't got them, find them. Mm. Because the days are long but the years are short. Another deep comment. Another deep comment. It's pretty good. Now, we're quickly running out of time. So there is probably half a dozen really good reasons as to why the general mistakes are made as investors. And once again, we're guilty of a lot of these at one stage or another, whether it be for five minutes or... So you are the one with a Ferrari? Never. You know, I'm not a car person. I really couldn't care. How's the new car going? I haven't got one. I thought you were going to buy one. Yeah, but it's... A Tarago. No. <laughs> for, for the listeners, uh, you know, Steve's been buying a new car for the last three years uh, and he still hasn't made a decision. He still hasn't taken the first step. Uh, every now and then he logs on to car sales or, go, or go, goes on to the new, uh, you know, looks at the new car, but nah, Do you know what? not buying it. Okay, <laughs> slow manager? No, no. <laughs> well, it is. No, it's not. It, it's just I am a procrastinator. Yep. Like I, I am, I am, I am, but I'll buy a property in about 37 seconds because mm. that's what I do every day. And as you were saying that, Steve's going to be buying a car for three years. I've got Brad Beer in my ear who says exactly the same thing. You were going to do this three years ago. <laughs> in case you're listening, Brad, you're a good guy. Um, all right, so let's finish off with a question from the, the mm-hmm. last podcast. and I'm going to read it out. So the question is from Jason M. in Victoria. Hi, guys. Love the podcast and especially the last filmed version. Thumbs up. My question is, I'm having problems with my property manager and, in fact, I've recently changed and I'm experiencing the same problems. It's mostly around R&M, so repairs and maintenance, and the lack of quotes combined with the pressure I feel that they're putting on top of me or on me to take their first quote Mm -hmm. and, therefore, action. 
would love some guidance. Now, this is a question, or actually we don't get that particular type of question a lot, but it's always around property management because it's such a fundamental need in terms of the cash flow scenario and the well-being of your portfolio. Now, I don't for one minute suggest that you go out and self-manage because I think that's foolish mm-hmm. um, and it's a false economy as well for the extra 20 bucks a week, whatever it is. You're smiling because you've done it. I've done it before. and um, I've done uh, it. Yeah. Um, uh, yep. For those that know our business manager, Kate, uh, she came to me, this was quite a few years ago, she came to me with a spreadsheet and said, did you know that across your portfolio, there's about $9,000 in arrears, some that are two weeks behind, some that are three weeks behind, all because I was too busy um, uh, running a business and trying to self-manage as well. I'd suggest that was a little bit of greed. Yeah, absolutely it was. <laughs> and it might be a bit of ego as well. I know all the rules and all that, so therefore 100%. I can do it myself. Absolutely. We've all we've all done it. And for those that of you that are entertaining doing it, strongly suggest that you don't. There's a whole heap of legality around it and what you True. don't know, you don't know. But anyway, let's answer Jason's, Jason's question. question. All right, let's, let's first... Let's set the, the platform here. Property management is the worst job in the world. Absolutely it is. It takes a particular type of person to be a good manager without doubt. I don't envy them. I couldn't be a property manager. Yep. Now, unbeknownst to most, people think that property, the role of a property manager, the biggest part of their day is probably the collection of rent. Mm-hmm. And it's not. Most, that's semi-automated. Yeah, especially if you've got a good tenant base mm-hmm. or good tenants within the property. The biggest part of their day or workload is actually repairs and maintenance. Mm. They're getting hit by the tenant and they're not getting answers from the landlord, so to speak. So yeah. it consumes their day. It's the biggest pile of work on their desk. And so, and once again, I'm just being quite general here. I'm not having a go at property managers because full respect, I couldn't do it. There's my disclaimer. But the easiest way for the manager to get the workload off their desk is to go to the landlords that just say yes. Absolutely. And get them to agree. And get them to agree. And usually that's around one quote, and it's a good quote, Vic. Mm-hmm. You should do it, and you should do it now. Now, let me be clear. There's a difference between essential maintenance or repairs, so that involves safety, and you should never be a slumlord. So you, you need to attend to that immediately versus preventative maintenance or requested maintenance yep. once again. So there's a difference. But here's my, here's my suggestions. I would ask for more communication. The key to a good property manager is communication. It's also probably the hardest attribute of a, of a property manager. So you want clear and concise communication. I personally, I was going to say demand, but that's, that sounds a bit harsh. I strongly request that I have multiple quotes mm. and I will not be charged for them. That, that's just not it. Unless, of course, I know the quote's cheap to begin with. But I want multiple quotes. I want evidence. So I want photographic or if it needs to be a phone video or whatever it may look like to really paint me a picture, so to speak. I want that so that I can make informed decisions. At the end of the day, the property manager works for you as the landlord. You pay the fee Mm -hmm. to have your property managed. I would suggest never feel like you're being bullied into a position where you just need to do it or they're doing you a favour. Now, once again, respect to property managers, but there are some not-so-good property managers out there. So never feel bullied. Ask for multiple quotes and lean on the people that you know. So once again, if I bring it back to us and our portfolio managers, our clients can ring them up and say, hey, what do you think of this quote? Or here's a request. Can you give me some, some guidance? 
on that because you don't know what you don't know, especially if you're just beginning and you've got maybe one or two properties. And state by state is different as well. Very different. And also the cycle in that state. Very much. Yeah, very much so uh, dictates the pricing. It is. So it's a tough one, Jason. I Maybe go into it with your eyes wide open. When you interview property managers, other than looking at their fees and charges, going back to your earlier point, Vic, about you know, a couple of dollars here or there, whilst a couple of dollars does matter, especially over multiple properties over multiple weeks, don't be the person where you screw a property manager down too much on terms of price because mm. they will give more attention to the landlord that's actually paying a fair price in terms of their fees and charges. Yeah. You pay half the price, you get half mm. the service. And be respectful. Absolutely. It's, it's give and take. Respect, yeah. is, respect is key. Mm. Communication is key. And the relationship that you have with the property manager is key as well. Yeah. So uh, just to put it in perspective, the property manager manages your property. You manage the property manager. It's not passive, is it? Mm, it's not. Once again. Yeah. All right. hope that answered it for you, Jason. There it is, guys and girls. Another filmed version of Investing Insights. Hope you enjoyed it. Feel free to go to the YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe so you get the, the alerts. Uh, if you like it, give us a thumbs up. If you don't like it, give us a thumbs down. Mm-hmm. Happy to see that too. Well, I'm not, but <laughs> I still want to know. If you're listening to it on the uh, the podcast platforms, make sure you give us a rating. It means a lot to us uh, and helps us stay engaged and enjoy what we're doing, of course. So until next time, we'll see you in the see next you podcast. Then. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you.